Hello, and welcome to the 44th episode of Roots and Hoots, a podcast series produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Join us as we celebrate stories of the success, resilience, and cultures of Indigenous peoples across Canada. Indigenous community facilitator, survivor, and host Gordon Spence brings you along on the journey as we learn about guest contributions through art, music, business, politics, education, and community leadership. Indigenous peoples have always affected positive change throughout Canada, and Roots and Hoots aims to create a better understanding of Indigenous peoples and their cultures in order to bridge the path forward on truth and reconciliation in Canada. If these stories interest or inspire you and you would like to hear more, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Podcasts are available through Podbean, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and can also be found on our website at www.legacyofhope.ca. Today's guest is Manise Young. Manise is an ally from Dryden who grew up on the shore of Thunder Lake in Northern Ontario. Her roots are French Canadian and Scottish. Manise is the lab head for books at Library and Archives Canada, and she is a woman who loves her work. Manise sees her role as helping people have access to Canada's collection for all and shares about the code of ethics that goes into preserving the important pieces of history that cross her desk. Beginning as a preservation technician, Manise was responsible for the care and preservation of collections, including books, newspapers, works of art, and treaties signed between the government and various First Nations, such as the Robinson-Huron Treaty and the Numbered Treaties Treaty 9 and Treaty 11. During her 22-year career at Library and Archives Canada, Manise has had the opportunity to engage with three treaties through conservation treatments, traveling with the treaties back to their home territories, and facilitating engagement and viewing sessions with communities and living descendants of the original signatories. As a conservator, historian, and mother to two young daughters, Manise is deeply moved by the need to raise awareness about the work of reconciliation and is here today to share her experiences as an ally at Library and Archives Canada and as someone who has been a caretaker to some very important historical documents. Please enjoy this episode on the topic of treaties. Hello and welcome to this podcast of Indigenous Roots and Hoots. I'm your host, Gordon Spence, and our guest today is Manise Young from the National Library and Archives Canada in Ottawa. Hello, Manise. How are you today? Hello, I'm very good. How are you? Good, good. We're all doing fine. And uh, maybe we can start by you talking a bit about your, uh, your role as the conservator historian at the, uh, at the National Archives of Canada. Canada. Yeah, I uh, will start off by saying that I truly love my job. I'm very honored to be here today to talk to you about my job. Um, so I am the lab head for books. Um, at Library and Archives Canada, we have a massive collection, um, including maps, photographs, paintings. Um, but I'm specifically um, working on books. Um, so my role and a lot of my responsibilities are uh, making decisions um, regarding treatment, regarding um, special visits, tours, um, exhibitions, loans, um, that kind of thing. So we do a lot of um, hands-on uh, with the items, but then we also do a lot of handling. Um, yeah, so a lot of that, a lot of tours and visits and just talking about book conservation and books in our collection in general. Yeah, you have uh, an interesting job there. Um, I'd be very interested to see the material that, that you have there myself because I'm part of Treaty 5. And, oh, thank uh, you. Yeah. Uh, 
tell us a little bit about uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, some. A lot of these documents are a hundred, a hundred plus years old, year, years old, and uh, and what type of con conservation you do? I mean, protecting the uh, the the treaties themselves and the material they were printed on uh, or written on. Uh, tell us a bit about that. What kind of material were they actually written on, and uh, what what do you what what condition are they in, and uh, maybe uh, what do you, what do you do to to preserve them? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, I would say that we have a huge range. So uh, a lot of the times, the items are in good or stable condition, and they don't require a lot of um, treatment. Treatment um, is very um, invasive to the item. Um, with book conservation, because it's a three-dimensional object, a lot of times I'm adding a new material, for example, uh, leather. If the book is made with a leather spine like Treaty 11, um, which I know I'll try not to talk too many specifics now because we're going to talk about it later, um, but when I go into a treatment, I do an entire assessment, and what this includes is a detailed description of the item. So this will include everything from the type of covering material which could be parchment or cloth or paper or leather. Um, if it's leather, then I go down to what type of leather it is. Um, if, for example, the spine is missing, then what I will use is um, usually a very good new leather, um, which is the same, the similar as the original. Um, so we're dealing with everything from poor condition um, all the way up to excellent condition. When an item is in poor condition, um, including the assessment, I make a proposal. Um, so a proposal uh, for treatment can go anywhere from one hour all the way up to like 500 hours. Um, usually when we're doing treatments, I try to um, do more of the minimal. Um, everything that we do is reversible as well. Um, all of the decisions that we make, we follow a code of ethics. Um, every step that we go, there's um, decisions about the sewing, for example, the spine linings. Um, I always reuse um, any of the original materials that are there. Um, sometimes I'm not able to if, for example, it's a front board and the front board is so damaged by mold or um, loss that I can't reuse it, I will replace it, but I will use new materials that are very similar to the originals, but are good quality that will last hopefully forever. Um, so that is part of what we do is um, not just the analysis part, but we do the entire treatment. And every time that I'm choosing a material, what I'm looking for is the new material to integrate perfectly and simultaneously with the old original material to create one repair that can move and be handled. How many treaty documents are there? And I noticed that uh, I think you're responsible for like three, three looking after three, three documents, three treaty documents. How many are there in total? Um, to be honest, Gordon, I, I'm not really sure. That's not really part of my um, job at all. Um, we do have archivists that would know that answer. Um, I would say for us in the conservation team, there's a total of 12 of us. Um, there's only technically one treaty that I know of that's bound and that was Treaty 11. So that's the one that I worked on um, myself. Um, and then I, we all work together on all of them, I would say. Um, okay. Right now I know that Treaty 3 is going on um, display and exhibition up north, um, I think 
in Kenora, Ontario, but it's not my project. Um, so I'm not really sure, but I would say from my personal experience, I've had one-on-one uh, -on -one experience with three of the treaties. Um, the okay. Robertson-Huron Treaty, which I think was created in 1850, and then Treaty 11, um, which was would have been 1921, and then the Treaty 9, which would have been 1905. What are the what other artifacts do you look after besides uh, the treaties, the documents? Right. Um, well, we work on everything that's in a bound format. So that could be anything from a large government ledger, which I work on lots of those, but it could also be like a small private journal or a diary. Um, it could also be a rare book. Um, it could be a sketchbook. It could be um, a large bound volume with lots of uh, newspapers in it. So it's a huge wide range. Um, I love them all. I would say um, when I first started working for the Library and Archives, I was actually working for the library side. So it was the National Library at the time. And then as we, we um, moved along, they decided to amalgamate the Library and Archives together. And what happened with me as a conservator, I was, I was able to work on not just published bound items. I was able to work on treaties, for example, or photograph albums. And what ended up happening with me as a conservator is I created this huge fondness and admiration for items that are one of a kind unique. Whereas with a published item, they are also beautiful and unique, but you can have multiple copies throughout the world. And often we have more than one copy. So with an original one of a kind item, um, it's a very special uh, honor to be able to treat this and to be able to handle them and to prepare them for exhibition. Our, uh, our community, our reserve signed Treaty 5 in 1908, we had a, we had a hundred year anniversary in 2000 and anniversary celebration in 2008. And in talking to some people uh, about that treaty, uh, they had actually signed the wrong treaty and uh, oh, no. <laughs> they had to send back uh, or had, they had to, uh, one of the agents had to travel back to Split Lake and uh, have them re-sign an addendum to the to Treaty 5. So. I love that. I don't have any um, treatment experience or handling experience of Treaty 5, but I will go back and ask about it. I'm curious. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I'm very interested in seeing the actual uh, treaties themselves and uh, the original documents. And that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking yes, about- Yes, you should come and see them, come and visit anytime. Definitely. I will definitely, definitely go there and-, uh, and Email see me. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the actual uh, treaty documents that you you worked on and that you've traveled with back to the communities. Let's talk a bit about that one. Uh, uh, I think uh, well, why don't we start with Treaty Treaty Nine and uh, you traveled uh, with the documents to the, to the community. I think it was in uh, James Bay area. It was yes. Um, this was a really special um, treaty for me because I'm I grew up in Dryden, Ontario. And um, this was the 100th centenary um, anniversary of the creation and the signing of this treaty of treaty number nine. And that was in 2005. Um, I had just started as a conservator. So I was about four years into my career. And because they knew that I was from Dryden, they asked if I would be interested in going up north and um, helping with this display and exhibition. And I have this, um, Thing in my personality that I just realized recently that I always say yes to everything. Um, so it was a very um, 
uh, enlightening experience. Um, it stayed with me forever. Um, it was um, in Osnaburg at the time. I, I don't know if the name, it, there was another name that I saw here, but um, it was known as Osnaburg. And it, what happened was there was a huge gathering of people um, in honor of this 100th year. And I remember Jack Layton was there. There was a lot of people and a lot going on. Um, as a conservator, though, I would say I was very, um, nervous um not not be well it was my first time my first experience traveling for um, library and archives canada but i also um was nervous about the document itself now treaty nine is not a bound item it's actually written on parchment pieces and parchment is a material that is fascinating it is a skin so it is like leather but it's treated differently so afterwards the process it's more of like it's more white or almost see-through but it's a very rigid material and it's easily susceptible to moisture fluctuations and also um, temperature fluctuations. So what happens is if, if we manipulate the item in the wrong way, the ink can actually pop off of the parchment. So as a conservator, this is like worst case scenario for me, um, super high stress. <laughs> but I would say um, as a conservator, even now today, um, my job is to find the balance between access and then preserving the original item. And I love it. I feel like when we got there and we made it and we set them up in the, we had display cases in this beautiful, it was a school with this beautiful um, atrium and natural light. And anyways, it was a beautiful experience. Um, I think most of the people that came to visit that day will remember. And I feel um, the original, seeing the original is different than seeing something that is digitized. I do believe in digitization as well for preserving the knowledge and also having access to the items, but seeing an original for, for me and I think a lot of people, it's a very different experience. I think that would be really awesome to see uh, the original document treaties that, that were signed. It'd be interesting to see the, uh, the people that signed them and uh, the names and, uh, and how they're written. Now, when you see these documents, uh, these treaty documents, uh, I know a lot of, uh, and I know a lot of the people that signed them, the, the indigenous people that signed them, uh, did not know how to read and write. Uh, now, do very many of them have their actual signature or are they more, a lot of them are marked with an X? That is an excellent question. And um, yeah, a lot of them are marked with an X. It's true. Yeah. Some of them do have signatures, though. Um, that's a yeah, it's a great question. And I think at that time, um, being um, not being literate, I think, um, especially in 1850, I mean, you know, depending on your access to education, if you're living in an uh, isolated area on a farmland, um, that is something to think about, right? Like these people are signing things, but they're not signing their name. It's with an X. It's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I remember. Uh going with my grandfather to the Hudson's Bay store uh, on the reserve and uh, he had his check with him, his, his old age pension check. And uh, he, he, you know, you have to sign your check, right? When you, when you cash it in. And I remember him uh, signing it originally with an X. And then uh, over a period of time, I guess he had practiced writing his name and uh, he actually did finally figure out how to write his name and uh it was pretty pretty sketchy <laughs> it was not exactly 
the best signature I ever saw, but uh, he actually did it. And uh, and I was kind of proud of him for doing that. And so it must be like, uh, you know, when you're uh, a very historic moment for these people that when you go to the community, there must have been a lot of excitement and a lot of anticipation. And my guess is there were probably a lot of people that were eagerly wanting to see this. What was that like? Tell us about that experience. What was the atmosphere like and how were the people reacting to this uh, ceremony? Well, I would, yeah, I would say overall, I think everybody was excited, definitely with anticipation. I think this was a project from what I had seen was in the planning for at least two years. Um, and at Library and Archives Canada, we have many different teams of people that will work on the same project. Like conservation is one part, but there's like loans and exhibition teams. And we have, um, we have a lot of other teams that also work on the same project. So I think both like the people that were still here that worked on the project were also extremely excited. I was excited, but also nervous. I think I was in my twenties. I was quite young and um, having that much responsibility was, was pretty heavy at the time, but I loved it. I loved talking to people. I think everybody loved seeing the originals. Um, what I remember from that day as well, um, my family came there because we um, were from Dryden. So the, my brother was there and my parents and this feeling of community and getting together the gathering. I remember a lot of people were out there. had a lot of um, ceremonial um, sites set up. I didn't get to participate in them unfortunately because like I was with the the treaty inside but I I think everybody was very happy I think it was a memorable occasion and afterwards um the treaty stayed um for another I I'm not really sure at least a month um so that was really nice so I was there for the the opening ceremony but then I left and I came back and it stayed so I think that gave more people an opportunity to visit it if they didn't have a chance to go that one day yeah, and I'm uh, wondering, uh, by the sounds of it, it had to have been more than just the Indigenous people that were keen on seeing this document. Uh, were there a lot of non-Indigenous people there as well? Um, I'd say not the majority, no, but there were a few. Yep, there yeah. were a few. Yeah. Uh, Treaty 11 was from the Northwest Territories, and uh, it was with uh, a treaty that was signed with the Dene, the Dene Nation in that part of Western Canada. And uh, did you have a chance to to travel there as well? Maybe tell us a little bit about Treaty, Treaty 11. Oh, see, all these treaties that I have worked on, I do have a special place in my heart for them. Um, no, I, unfortunately, I didn't get to travel with Treaty 11. This was an interesting story because this one happened during COVID. So, you know, COVID oh. shut down so many things. Right. Um, so this was a project that started, um, I'm not sure if it started pre-COVID, I think it did, I think it started pre-COVID, but then COVID hit and we were all working from home. Um, so this project did go forward, uh, the bridges were closed. So I think with this one, um, it turned out to be a beautiful project. Um, it did end up going, and here's the funny thing, um, Treaty 11 had its own plane seat and it flew to the Northwest Territories by itself. Today. That was my roots and hoots moment for you. I was trying to think of something funny and I thought, isn't that cool, right? Like it had its own plane seat and it went. So because of COVID and all the provincial restrictions, um, we decided to do this. And I find with, with our teams, what we do with exhibitions and with, with loans is we want them to happen. So we will do whatever it takes to make it happen. And this one was um, uh, an amazing project um, because uh, the 
the treaty itself, when it first came in the lab, was actually not sewn together anymore. So, you know, when a book is sewn together, the pages are in signature, so they're together. But what had happened somewhere along its travels is the sewing came detached so that all the pages were, they were still together, but they were all separate. And then the spine was missing. So with Treaty 11, because it was in pieces, technically, I was able to do the treatment on it. So for me, being able to do a treatment during COVID when the bridges were closed, I, I live in Ontario and I work at the Preservation Centre in Quebec. Um, I had to get a special letter to cross the bridge to be able to go in to repair it so that it would be ready in time to be shipped up north. Um, there were a lot of people that worked on this project and um, overall we heard it was a big success. It was there for three months and um, with a three-dimensional object like a book, um, it's, it's a bit more complex than just sending a document um, because I don't send the item open. I have to send it flat and closed like a book. Um, and then when it gets there, they need to open it up and I create a custom uh, support or cradle for it. So I also have to prepare installation instructions for the other end. So when they get it, they know how to put it on the mount that I've created. Um, so this was definitely a collaboration project. Um, I wrote the name down. It was the Prince of Wales Northern Heritage Center. So they actually have a conservator there. So we worked together virtually. And what was wonderful was that the community loved having the treaty there. Um, they had a lot of children come in and I think they even had some replicas made of the original. So they had children really come in and learn hands-on about how this was put together. And um, we also um, had pages turned because with the book, you don't get to see all of the pages. So in this one, every, I think, I'm not sure, but it's been a while, but every fourth week we turned a page. So even if a visitor went on one week and saw that page, you come back the next week and you see the next page with the other signatures. So it was a wonderful project. I would say very successful and also one that I felt made my job feel very um, important. And I felt that it um, enhanced what we do where I feel like, you know, during COVID and we're all at home and you want this purpose in your life. And I felt like at that time, this is big deal. This is my purpose right now. So I felt very fulfilled at the end of this. I felt um, the treatment itself was very complex. So I had to re-sew it um, together, which is a very challenging process. This one is not parchment, thankfully. It's um, paper. It's very thick card paper. Um, but still, it was still fragile and quite large. So I had to use a sewing frame and then sew through it. And then I also had to recreate the spine, which was leather. Um, so that was a big, big treatment. Um, I was really happy with the outcome um, and also the exhibition seemed to be a big success. You also worked on another uh, treaty, uh, the Robinson Huron Treaty, and uh, that's probably the oldest one of all the treaties in Canada. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, your, uh, your work with the Robinson Huron Treaty. Oh, this one was very special to me. Um, this one, I do believe, uh, was the first treaty that sort of paved the way for the other treaties. Um, it was 1850, I believe. And the interesting thing about this one, this one is not a bound item. Um, at the time, there we have uh, four different labs. We have a paintings lab, photo lab, we have a paper lab, and we have a book lab. But the day that this visit was supposed to, so, okay, I should back up. There were some visitors that wanted to visit the treaty, and I believe that it was their treaty. So um, I'm not sure their band name, but um, I did write their names down. Um, it was Peter Recolette, 
I don't know if you know him mm -hmm. and Leroy Bennett. Um, so they were there and they wanted to come and see the treaty and make a documentary about it. Um, where my role came in, it wasn't my item. It was not even in my lab, but the lab head that day couldn't make it. And this had been something that was pre-planned. Um, so I filled in as a backup uh, lab head. And if I didn't do it, um, I don't think the visit would have happened because this particular treaty was in the lab getting treatment. Um, so it was in pieces. It was extremely fragile to handle. Um, so that's what I was there was for the handling so that they could have access to it. Um, they did film me. So they came into the paper lab and they asked, of course, if they could film me. And I said, yes, of course. I feel my job is to share and to help people have access to this. Um, when they initially came in, our facility is very beautiful. Um, it's got a lot of light and it's very modern. Um, I think that they were impressed with the space. And then we pulled out the treaty. I put it on the table and the joy and the excitement from all of us was, was mutual. And I feel we talked about the treatment, the treaty for about an hour or maybe an hour and a half. And at the end of it, I think that I made friends with these people. We made a real connection. Um, I don't know too much about the documentary. Um, at the time they said that they would email me about it, um, but I haven't heard anything yet. Um, yeah, so it was a really memorable experience. I was a little bit nervous at the time because it wasn't my treatment and I knew nothing about the treaty itself. Um, but I do remember the feelings that we had and we made these relationships and these connections. And afterwards I was wowed. I, this is going to stay with me for the rest of my life, this visit. It must be awesome to be working with uh, such historic and important documents like the treaties. Uh, for those people that don't know about treaties, uh, treaties were actually signed uh, agreements with uh, between First Nations people and uh, and the Crown, actually not the government of Canada, it was actually the Crown, uh, the King of England at the time, and uh, in exchange for a uh, title of land and resources uh, so that uh, white settlers can uh, begin developing uh, the lands in Canada and, uh, and to be able to settle in lands uh, in Canada. And also partly when the, this was uh, before the the rail line was uh, the the CN rail line ran, uh, was built was being built. I guess they had to they had to go through some uh, reserve lands, and so they had to sign treaties with these uh, with these First Nations who were who were actually located on on the various routes. So treaties. Uh, this this part of the uh, the uh, regarding treaties, we'll uh, we'll talk about it at a, at another at another episode. Uh, right now, we're just we're just talking about the preservation of the the documents themselves. What I also wanted to ask uh, Monis is uh, how 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 important do you think it is for First Nations people to, and how uh, how do they feel when you know when they see uh, when they when they know that the, that the treaty document is in their presence? Uh, how important do you do you think that is to them? Well, I would say um, from my own personal experience, um, it took me many, many years to figure out why I loved history so much and why I loved books so much. And it was only a couple of years ago and I really realized it's because of the people. 
it, it's not because of the item. It's because of the people that made the book, the people that signed the book, the people that are in the photos inside the book, the people who own the book or the people who store the book. It's, it's about all the people. So I feel that when um, we see something that is from our ancestors, it connects us to something that's bigger than just this moment. I feel that it becomes something huge and is part of our past or present and our future. Um, for me, it's very moving. Uh, I feel that it gives me a grounding feeling. It makes me feel sense of who I am. So I'm I'm hoping that is how um, people feel when they get connected to something that is part of their their heritage and their ancestry. I'm interested to like see uh, a treaty document. It's uh, it's on different types of material, uh, paper, uh, leather, maybe. Uh, do they vary in uh, in in size in terms of volume? Like, for example, what would what would treaty nine? How many pages would that be? it uh, several pages or is it all in one one yes that's an excellent question i would say all of them are completely different yeah. um the robinson huron treaty is just one large page that was folded into many many pieces which is why it's has so damaged because when you fold an item like that over time it becomes worn it has losses um treaty 11 was the only one that i know of that was in a bound format which also had its problems with its sewing. Um, treaty nine was parchment, but it was several pages. Um, from what I've seen of the treaties, it starts out, it's like, um, you know, the date and the treaty name, and then it has all a lot of like writing. It's usually handwritten um, manuscript writing. And then it goes into a whole bunch of details, which could go over, I would say several, several pages. And then at the back, you can have um, several signature pages as well, which was the same with Treaty 11. There were several pages that were signed, different pages because they were brought, I think, to different locations within that region. So I'd say all of them are different. They're all very unique. Um, I don't know too much about um, who made them, um, but I do know that Treaty 11 was a very, very nice binding. It was bound in a black um, calf leather. Actually, no mistake, it was goat leather. And um, it had gold tooling on the front, which I thought was so beautiful. Gold tooling is something that is uh, more of a fine binding. So this was done with care. Um, with the, the exhibition of Treaty 11, we didn't show the front cover, um, but I, I'm always pushing for it as a book person because I feel like, you know, it's the front cover and it's so beautiful. Um, so Treaty 11 was very different from the other ones where they, it had like a cover and almost a, like the gold tooling on the front was just, it was beautiful. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see them. Um, in terms of, uh, uh, communities uh, accessing uh, their treaties or, you know, having them come to their community for viewing. Is, is, this a, is there a process involved? Uh, do people have to write a, a letter of request to do this? And how, what was involved in this process? Yes, I would say, please um, contact Library and Archives. I would say there is a process, but it is not that complicated. Um, one thing that I didn't say, but our collection is all of our collection. It's your collection. Come and visit it, order it up. If you can't come to Ottawa or Gatineau, we can digitize it and email it to you. Um, what I would do is go to our uh, website and at the bottom you're gonna see contact us, start there. And then what ends up happening is they triage it to all the different groups. Um, you could also, if you wanted to see the treaties, email me directly um, and then 
you know, I could figure out who to talk to from there. I would strongly encourage people to ask to come and see them on site. I think our site is so beautiful and you can see what we do there, all the hands-on, but also the specialized storage facility as well and see how these are, are housed and, you know, you have access to them. So I would strongly encourage um, a community to also put in a request for an item to come and, and have it, you know. Um, there are some, um, like parameters that we put on it, mostly um, like lighting, you know, that kind of thing. So if an institution is trying to um, have an exhibition, we just want to make sure it's not directly in the sunlight all day right. because yeah. light damage is cumulative and irreversible. Um, so there are some uh, rules when it leaves the, the our facility, but it is totally doable. I strongly encourage everyone to do it. What's your, uh, what's the website that people can uh, can access? Can contact uh, if they want to uh, have access to their treaty document? Um, well, I'm not sure, but I think if you just type in www.librarianarchivescanada.gc.ca, it should come up. Or even if you Google uh, Library and Archives Canada, our homepage will come up. And I think at the bottom, we have a very um, user-friendly screen. So I think you can just click on there, send in your, your question, and I would start from there. We have a huge um, reference and research team. Um, so they will take your question, they'll respond to you, and then they, they triage it to whichever team will be um, dealing with the request. And how quickly can this turn around? Like, let's say we have, uh, we have uh, treaty days in our community in July. Like, would this be right. feasible at this time? It, it would be. Um, it really would depend. Um, that's a short turnaround time for us. Um, yeah. Not because we don't want it to happen, but just because we are so busy. Um, I would say to give us time to make it um, perfect would be anywhere like six months to a year. Okay. Um, but a short, short turnaround time could happen. It would depend on the condition of the item. So if it's in good condition, if it's in poor condition, it means we need time to repair it first. Um, and then um, the other thing would be the quantity. If you ask for just one item, the chances are you'll get it sooner. But if you ask for 50, it's going to take us you know, 50 times longer. <laughs> like when you say that, uh, do you mean like other other documents, other artifacts that would be there from our community, like a particular community besides the treaty document itself? Yes, I work on um, several items from um, a lot of different, well, how can I say? There's three different pillars that we work on. Um, one is the published, so we have a published collection, and then we have a government collection, which has a lot of ledgers, and the treaties are under the government. So we have published government, and then we have private. So under private, it can be any sort of donation or phone that we have. So it's a huge mix and a huge variety. Um, Recently, um, I did do a treatment. A lot of our work is for um, digitization. Um, as I mentioned, I do fully support digitization as well um, because people are able to access it if they live in British Columbia, they can see the content, they can virtually see it. Um, my preference is of course um, the analog, but um, I do support the digital. Um, recently, um, I did have a treatment that came into the lab. It was a large leather ledger from the government phone. And what it was, it was a residential school ledger and um, it was with me in the lab because they couldn't digitize it because the pages were all work they were super cockled 
Um, so it came to me to see if I could flatten the pages so that they could get a quality image of it. Um, the majority of our work, I, I think I mentioned it, but I'm not sure, is, is access driven. So all the time when I'm doing treatments, I'm thinking of that person that has ordered it that's waiting for it. So because they ordered it, this copy of it, from our digitization team, it first had to come to me. So I know that it, it's even more delayed. Um, so with this ledger, um, I think it was from the Brandon area. Um, it had, it was very large and it had tape all around the edges. It kind of looked uh, like someone had, it did a homemade repair job on this, on this book, um, but it wasn't there for that, but it was there for the cockled pages. The pages were really warped. And the challenging part about it was there was all different kinds of inks. Inks can be really challenging because they're water susceptible. So when we're trying to flatten something, a lot of times I will use humidity or moisture, but in this case, I couldn't. Um, so I, I can't remember what I ended up doing. I tried heat and that didn't work. Oh, I ended up, I used um, a really, really thin uh, tissue that we have and a really, really light um, layer of wheat starch paste, which allowed it just to settle just enough to make it flat. Um, paper is really interesting because it has a memory. So for some reason, the way the book was stored, the pages were warped like this. So it was really hard for me to tell them to go back down and be flat. Um, what I found fascinating about this ledger, I don't always read the books that I'm working on. No one has time for that. Um, but with this ledger, what I found was so um, memorable was that it was all the listed names of the children that were coming into the school. So wow. they had like number one, they would have their name, you know, Sally. And then it would have all these little different columns or categories. And what I remember was they would have like the, the, the Y or the N. And I'm like, what does that mean? And then underneath in a little tiny tableau would say like, um, is the mother living or dad, you know, things like that. And it really moved me. I would have to say that I read every name in that book. Um, it really touched me. I felt connected, you know, when I talked about that, where um, how would someone feel if that was their grandmother, you know, and they see their grandmother's name and there's information about her age, um, if she got you know, sick or, you know, these kind of things are in there. If they, some of them were happy stories, some of them would say like, um, got married, you know, living in, you know, this town nearby, um, you know, and some of them were more sad stories. Some of them passed away from like tuberculosis and things. And they would be like a 12 year old girl, you know? So um, I have a 14 year old girl and 11 year old girl. So I mean, this connection to this item. And, you know, I was saying earlier how like, for me, it's not just a, an item. It's like that person, you know, right. that person, like who wrote that name in that book, you know, and who was that little girl, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not giving you an actual name. I'm just saying, but we did have a tour that came by on, and, and one of the, the people on tour said, I think my grandmother went to that school and I was like, you're kidding me. So I made um, him give me his um, name. And I looked for it when they left. <laughs> I didn't find it, but I did email him and I told him, you know, keep looking. Like, I think there's so many things in our collection, um, but it's so hard to find, like, because our collection is so massive. I mean, even this government ledger, it's not itemized down to like each name inside the book. So you really have to go and, and find the book and then look it up and just look through every page and look for your name, you know? Our goal though, when we digitize something is that when it's digitized, perhaps at one point, you'll be able to type in your family name and then you will see this digitized page of this document that will have all this information about your ancestor. And that I find um, amazing. And that makes me believe in the digitize, digitize, digitization part of it. Yeah, quite fascinating. Uh, 
it'd be like like I said before, it'd be quite amazing to see this the work that you do and the documents and the treaties. And uh, one thing I want to say though is uh, uh, residential school, the the ledger that, that you're talking about. Uh, it sounds to me like uh, some kind of as you as you may or may not know the Legacy Old Foundation where I work for. Um, we have a number of exhibitions that travel across Canada, uh, all related to residential schools and the and the uh, some of us, uh, some of it related to uh, the Sixty Scoop and uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Uh, we have over twenty five different uh, exhibitions, and this idea that's just coming to me is about. Uh, doing an exhibit uh would there, would it be possible to like maybe copy or or photograph some of the your your uh the documents that you work on as an exhibit that we can develop uh as part yes. of our, our package i would love that actually today that's what i was going to say at the end um was that we should do a collaboration project together and i would say yes we can do reproductions but why don't we do originals we can get some originals out there and and talk about those. They would have to be, you know, an exhibition case and that kind of thing. But I would be more than happy to help facilitate that. I think it would be a wonderful thing to do. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, well, uh, so we'll continue to work on that, and uh, and something. Uh, uh, it's, I think it'll be fascinating uh, for us to have in our in our group of exhibitions. Bunnies, uh, um, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions uh, before this podcast is over. Uh, one of them, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was uh, about reconciliation and uh, and how you feel about, you know, that's been the buzzword now for for some time in, around Canada since they discovered those, uh, those burial sites in BC uh, and, and the ongoing, you know, as they discover more and more, you know, People are waking up, uh, non-Indigenous people, especially, are waking up and realizing, you know, the, you know, I almost want to say atrocities that that happen to Indigenous people uh, in residential schools, plus other areas, uh, and uh, and people are now talking about reconciliation and wanting to do better, wanting to make our country better, wanting to come to some kind of, you know, uh, understanding uh, what what uh, whatever whatever reconciliation means and what what are your feelings on this and how, how do you feel about uh, uh when when you hear the word reconciliation what do you think uh people can do should do how do you feel about it well, i think it's an amazing question um and it's one that i think i'm going to ask myself for a long time i felt even last night i was really thinking about it i'm like what does it mean to me um i would say um for me, it means having mutual respect um, for cultures that are perhaps not the same as our own. Um, I would say from my personal um, experiences, having an open mind, um, but also being vulnerable. I feel like even today, me talking today, I was quite nervous. I think I'm quite a, a shy person, um, but putting ourselves out there and saying, you know what, I don't know this, you know, and, and learning something new and just being open and having respect 
Um, I felt as well um, the connections that we make, the friendships and the collaborations. I feel like that is something that we can do today, now in 2023, that will create a permanent relationship and hopefully a friendship that will last a lifetime. So I, that's generally how I feel about the word reconciliation to me. Thank you very much, Manise Young. Uh, she's a conservator at the National Library and Archives Canada. I want to thank you on behalf of Legacy Hope Foundation for taking the time to talk to us about your important work. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. It was an honor and my absolute pleasure. Roots and Hoots is a podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Music is provided by David Finkel. For more episodes like this and to learn more about the work we are doing, please visit www.legacyofhope.ca to learn more.